OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR app that is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees, to stay organized, save time, and get compliant. If you're wondering why OnPay is so great, it's because it was built by payroll experts with over 30 years of payroll experience and has the most robust and customizable QuickBooks Online and Zero integrations of any payroll provider. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. But you know how I feel about these attempts to improve the pipeline at the education level in high school and college. It's not going to happen fast enough. 75% of CPAs are eligible to retire in like 10 years. So there's just not time. In K-12, this is going to be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is too little, too late. My feeling is we need to stop people from leaving, right? A lot of people are leaving the profession, especially diverse candidates. They're leaving due to uh, lack of inclusion, perceived lack of uh, equitable treatment, inclusion. And we also don't make it really easy for people to join the profession. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Happy Friday to you. Yeah, Friday. Trying something new. Going back to the olden days when we recorded on Fridays. Yes, I'm looking forward to having my whole weekend available. I really shouldn't be saying this, though. We shouldn't be talking about having our weekends because it is tax season. And so many people are working Saturdays, Sundays, especially since there's like 10 days left until the deadline. So to all of you who are sitting in your offices now listening, we congratulate you on your studiousness, on your work ethic. Well done. Keep at it. You can do it. I don't know. I'm not very good at encouraging people. By the time they get this episode and listen, it's going to be... The last you're in the last forty eight hours possibly, or or you're listening the day after. So congratulations. That's true. Congratulations. Like if if you're you made to it. That point. Woohoo! It's over. David, we have to talk about you. You are a free agent again, and now <laughs> I'm starting to wonder. Agent. I'm connecting things because you were down in Rocky Point, Mexico, on vacation, and then you were talking about the condos in Rocky Point. I mean, are, are you out? Are you going to retire <laughs> down to Rocky I'm Point? Out. No, no, no. Nothing like that. Nothing crazy like that. No. No, I, um, yeah, the news is I'm actually stepping down at Melia as a W-2 employee and just turning in, just going to be a uh, part-time advisor. Mm-hmm. Some of it's a homework, life balance thing. Some of it is I grew the team, right? Like I, I built a team of people that love accountants and- it's kind of in good hands. And there's a fine line of me like being in the weeds too much. Like it's probably not a good use of my time to be in meetings about a Salesforce field. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's probably better for me to step back and think of like, oh, what is the next year or two years look for Emilio, right? How do I contribute to that? How do I partake in those transactions or transactions, sorry, those conversations? But it's hard to um you've been a, in accounting in the weeds, right? You've been in accounting so long, you think of conversations as transactions. Well, congratulations. So do you know what you're gonna do next? No, not entirely. I'm just uh, trying to get things a little bit more uh, under control, trying to mm-hmm. reassess my calendar, reassess time. You know, trying to, I mean, I'm approaching 50 years old. I'm trying to figure out like, what does my working life look like the next half a decade? Or half a decade, I mean, next 15 years, decade and a half. You know? Okay, so David's going to purchase a motorcycle and go on a uh, midlife crisis <laughs> cross-country journey. Come see me when you do. I don't know about that. It's not going to be that kind of a... 
You can go to Sedona and you can get in touch with yourself. That's another option. I could do that. I could do that. So figure out where you're going to do next. What I've been doing now though is I've I've been having a hip problems, sciatic nerve type problems in both legs. And so I've been going to physical therapy like three days a week and getting needles shoved in me. It's kind of cool. Actually, I'm starting to like it. So, you know, I'm 38 and I'm starting to have like medical stuff. I've been healthy my whole life. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's like you get older and you start to have something you need to get looked at. So for the first time in my life, I am interacting with the medical world. Now I know, I know it's a challenge. Like, and I, I know it is because my son has cochlear implants. So we went through this whole process to get him approved for all that and go through insurance and everything. And it was a big thing. But like, personally, I've never had this experience of like, what is it like to actually try to go to a specialist office and get an appointment? And so I had that experience myself, like actually going in there and doing it. And I got to say that after seeing just how bad it is to get an appointment with a doctor, to get your test results, to like go on their horrible practice management yeah, portals software. Now. You have to join these portals. Oh, yes, yes, the yes. portals are terrible, terrible. It makes me feel a lot better about us as accountants where we're at. You know? <laughs> I mean, you, you have no idea... I got an invite to go onto this portal and for my medical records. And then I get in there and I say, okay, great. I don't have to fax in my lab test from this other place I went to. Now I can just upload it. And then I upload it and it says that files that you upload are not made available to the doctor. You still have to fax them. It's just for your own personal. It's just for your own (laughs) records. And I'm like, why would I do that? And then there's no way to message my doctor, even though that's a feature in the app. They haven't enabled it, which is really frustrating. Stuff like also where uh, you can't book anything. There's no online bookings. You have to call somebody to book anything. And then they'll tell you unless, you, unless you push, that it's an emergency. They'll say, oh, yeah, we don't have any availability until June. You know, like, it's just, it's just a, a shit show. So, yes, accountants, we are doing better than the doctors, at least in my limited experience. At and possibly this lawyers and some others, yes. Maybe, it's, maybe all that as well, yeah. So... Well, David, we should get to the news, right? Yes. We should talk about, because we have so much news. We have so much news this week. Elon Musk is going to war with the SEC again, or he's trolling them is really more, I think, appropriate. <laughs> we have hacks. Yes, a hack of MailChimp owned by Intuit that compromised a lot of records, apparently, and is being used for defrauding people from crypto. We've got a survey about how boring accounting is. We missed this a while ago. (laughs) University of Essex researchers conclude accounting is seen as the second most boring job possible. We'll talk about that and what the first most boring job is. Podcaster. (laughs) Podcaster. I think that's, along with YouTuber, actually, it's one of the sexiest It's gotta be one of the hottest ones right now. Yeah, Influencer, YouTuber, content creator, whatever, yes. So every now and then, when I'm introducing people, I have a decision to make. I say, I have to decide... Do I introduce myself as a CPA or as a podcaster? <laughs> I've been so I've been kind of A/B testing this. Podcaster definitely stimulates a lot more conversations than CPA. I find it very hard to tell people what it, I'm like. I'm like I'm in the accounting industry, but I'm not an accountant. But then I try to say fintech, and like it's just very very. Just say podcaster. Just say professional just say podcaster, podcaster too. But then, but then they just think you're you're an unemployed person, which now I guess I'm an unemployed guy. So maybe this all makes sense. <laughs> CPA firms are showing progress in diversity, some progress, although there's some numbers in these, in these, there's some takeaways from these numbers that aren't quite so positive. That's the positive spin on it. 
Yeah, and then we could talk, I don't know, maybe if there's time, the, the Great Resignation. What's going on with that? It, maybe it's not a Great Resignation. Maybe it's a Great Reshuffling is the discussion that I'm reading online now, which makes sense because it's not like people are quitting their jobs and just not working. People still want to work. So, David, I'll let you spin the roulette wheel. Uh, let's do the – jump in your boring story. I want to understand the boring jobs. This University of Essex survey, I love the uh, the chart in accounting today. They did a good job with the headline on the chart because the chart says, not as boring as actuaries, which is the classic accounting joke. Have you heard this joke, David? How do you tell an accountant from an actuary at a cocktail party? I don't know, Blake. How do you tell the difference? The accountant will stare at your shoes while he's talking. The actuary will stare at his own shoes. <laughs> yes, so uh, let's dig into this a little bit. The study did not make absolute claims over what is and is not boring, but instead delved into what people perceive as boring. It involved polling more than 500 people over a series of five different experiments about what they find boring, how boring those choices are compared to each other, and how the respondents react to boring individuals. Here are the five jobs most associated with boring people. So it's it's actually not that the job is boring, it's that the people are boring. I think the headline is wrong So, 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 so just to make sure I'm understanding it, they found boring people. They like took, found a thousand boring people, or how many this is, and then went and said, what do you do as a career? No, I think they asked 500 people to rate in relative terms, who is the most boring? So if you were talking to an accountant versus an oh, actuary okay, okay. versus- got a, it, got right. it, gotcha. So the most boring people from most to least in the mind of the public, according to the survey, is data analysis, accounting, tax slash insurance, cleaning, and banking, in that order. So actuary, accountant, Tax consultant slash insurance agent, cleaner, dishwasher janitor, and then banker, teller, financial advisor. All rank is the most boring. Now, conversely, you might ask, what are the most exciting professions? Who who has the most interesting people? And oh, from Uber most, drivers for sure. <laughs> from from most to least, performing arts, science, journalism, health professional and teaching. Those are the most interesting people or jobs. What about Hitman? Hitman Uh, didn't make the list. What's funny about this is that I used to be in the performing arts. I was a cellist, or at least I was dabbling in it. I'm bet in the performing arts, if they start ranking people that are boring, I think cellists might be showing, like, like not as... (laughs) Not as high as, like, rock musician? uh, Not as high as musical theater singer uh-huh. or something. That's true. Well, my joke is uh, what I tell people about going from classical music to accounting is that I just went from like the most boring thing in music to the most boring thing in numbers, right? <laughs> <laughs> people, people do tend to like laugh politely at that joke. So yeah, I, you know, this is funny to me because I think accounting is actually really interesting. At least the accounting that I'm in, the technology world that we do. I wouldn't do a podcast about it every week if I didn't find it fascinating. 
But I think the problem is that traditional accounting jobs are, in fact, very boring. And I would never do it. No matter how much money you paid me, I could never be an auditor, at least the way that I understand it to be, like the way people perceive it. So so it's weird because inside the accounting profession, there's a lot of different things you can do. And the, the accounting technology stuff, that stuff's all really fascinating. Putting in ERPs, it can be really fun. Like you learn a lot about the business, doing financial modeling, doing all this but this fun stuff. But will never make this list because no. they're working so many hours, they don't actually go to a cocktail party and people never talk to them and realize people never how boring talk to they could be. It's, Maybe that's the problem, right? Uh, <laughs> they're almost yeah. they're almost opted out of the survey. Well, and I think part of the problem with audit in particular is that like it's not very meaningful work, right? So, And there's not much to talk about. <laughs> what do you talk about when you go to a party and you're an auditor? There's like, you know, Nobody wants to hear about it, right? There's there's not much to say. So that's part of the problem too. But anyway, it's good news for us because those of us who like accounting, we know the secret. But it's not good for the pipeline, right? How do we get more people to go into accounting if the perception is that it's so boring? And the, I the, have an article on about the pipeline whenever you're ready. Let's talk about the pipeline. Uh, maybe changing some people's minds about this is the way we do it. Yeah, so... The STEM Education and Accounting Act has been introduced. This is a bill. It was introduced apparently in December of 2021. And then there's a companion bill that is introduced to the House in June of 2021. So I don't know why this article has the two dates flip-flopped or why I start with the most current date first, then go to the previous date. But essentially, this is backed by the AICPA and others, and it's to get accounting to be part of STEM and for K through 12 education. Yeah, yeah, we were and talking about this in it last year, right? Like so this is the same trend to get accounting in STEM. Yes. Yeah. And so for now it's really a bill, right? Right. And the AICP, AICPA has argued that the bill should be passed because there's a clear logical overlap between accounting and technology. A little mm -hmm. bit of the obvious. AICPA also went on and talked about like, oh, diversity and these types of things. But really what the they really want to do is they the focus of this bill, they want to um, promote the development, implementation, and strengthening of programs to teach accounting and the focus on increasing access to high-quality accounting courses for students through grade 12 who are members of groups underrepresented in accounting careers. Mm. And they're really pushing because they they're hoping this will encourage a pipeline of CPAs in the future. Like that's the driving force behind right. this bill. Now the AICPA is using it to check all their boxes. It's checking their diversity box, their technology box, their curriculum education box. Like, like really, AICPA gets a lot of wins from this one bill if they can get accounting to become STEM. Right, you but you know how I feel about ones. these attempts to improve the pipeline at the education level in high school and college. It's not going to happen fast enough. Seventy-five percent of CPAs are eligible to retire in like ten years. So like, there's just not time. In K-12, this is going to be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is too little, too late. My feeling is we need to stop people from leaving, right? A lot of people are leaving the profession, especially diverse candidates. They're leaving due to a uh, lack of inclusion, perceived lack of uh, equitable treatment, inclusion. And we also don't make it really easy for people to join the profession. Like for me as a career changer, it was really difficult really challenging. And the only reason I was able to do it is because I had financial resources available to me. I didn't have massive student loan debt to worry about. So I could take the time to get those extra 150 hours that I needed to have and sit for the CPA exams, which took like years and years and years. 
it's not easy if you don't do it starting in college. It's like really hard. So, you know, this is, it's just not going to work. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. Recently, I chatted with Twyla Verhelst, director of the accountant channel over at FreshBooks, because I wanted to see what they've been up to. For those who don't know, FreshBooks was the first accounting software I used as a freelance bookkeeper back in 2011, so I've been really curious to see what's new. Turns out, a few years ago, FreshBooks launched a new platform that is now more than just invoicing. FreshBooks is now a full general ledger with financial reports, bank feeds, and journal entries. FreshBooks also has your favorite app integrations, even some embedded ones like Gusto for payroll. And with the launch of their new accounting partner program, Twyla and the FreshBooks team are creating a platform and a partner experience that's showcasing that they're really listening to our feedback. If you want to learn about the benefits of working better together with FreshBooks, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. Now, we see this in the numbers. There was an article in the Journal of Accountancy and Accounting Today about the same study. It's a report from the AICPA, their trends report, which was released Wednesday. And the headline in both sites is diverse accounting hires on the rise. So that's the positive spin is that diversity has increased in hiring accountants from 30% to 35% in two years. So, hey, you know, that's meaningful, 5% increase in diversity. So 35% of new hires are from diverse backgrounds. But it's still kind of like... That's a big jump in two years. I mean, unless yeah, that's yeah. because of some work they did earlier in the pipeline... Five no, no, I think that's that's to be congratulated, and that's great. And if that yeah. continued every two years, we would have a much more diverse accounting workforce. In well, you know, let's say we wanted to get to half, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, it would it would take a while, right? Like if you wanted to mirror society, the U.S. Yeah, society. I don't remember what it is anymore. It depends on what state you're in. But like, you know, I think in California, where you know I was living most recently, we were a majority minority state. Meaning that, you know, it should be at least half of your candidates are diverse because that's the way the state makeup is, right? If you want to represent it. So yeah. to get from 35, we need another 15%. That's going to take at least six years if you increase if you keep that going, right? So that's good actually. It's not too long. But here's the problem. The same report also found that colleges and universities in the US saw total accounting undergraduate enrollment decline. 7.8% from 2019 to 2021. And freshman enrollment was down 13.1%. So that is problematic for the future of the profession overall, regardless of how diverse it is. Freshman enrollment down 13% in accounting. And what if we, they put the STEM out for K through 12 and kids are like, I'm never going to accounting. <laughs> because they experience it and they don't like it. I mean, this is what happens, right? Like everybody has to take chemistry and this is why there's hardly any chemist, right? Like the hard, rocket science, like these difficult things people don't want to do. CPA firms hired 10% fewer accounting graduates in 2020 than 2019. So CPA firms are responding to all this, the shortage by hiring fewer accounting graduates because they have to go outside of accounting to find people. But also I would argue that our education in accounting is not preparing accountants for what they need to do in CPA firms these days. 
all the different stuff they need to do. And if you look at where accountants are getting placed in these CPA firms, more and more of them are getting stuck in audit. So rather than this trend we want, which is accountants need to broaden their skill set, we need to get out of the traditional stuff and do more consulting and technology and all that, the opposite is what's happening. Accounting is getting more siloed because there aren't enough accountants and they're all getting stuck into audit. So like this long-term trend, if this continues, it means that really accounting will not become this profession that's diverse in the sense that we do a lot of different stuff, which is the opposite of what the CPA exam is trying to accomplish by adding in technology. So it's not working. <laughs> and the headline is touting the one good number, but overall the, the numbers are not great. Yeah, non-accounting graduates hired into accounting and finance firms increased by 10%. So we're being replaced by non-accounting students. And I would expect that you know the number of CPAs would decline too. I have a stat on that. This is also from the AICPA Trends Report. I think a different one, maybe 2019. Here's the shocking finding. Only 27% of respondents saw themselves spending most of their careers in public accounting. A third saw their careers in business, not CPA firms. But a significant 24% weren't sure where they were going and in those uncertain ranks lies the future of the accounting industry. So only 27% of respondents to this survey that are in accounting programs, like students in accounting, say that they're going to stay in public accounting. So what does that say about like public accounting? Where you know it's just it's not desirable. And I've said it's the work-life balance. The job itself has not kept up with changing expectations of what people want in their lives. They want Fewer hours, they want greater flexibility. Not a lot of firms are offering that. The ones that do are succeeding and thriving, but the ones that don't, that make you come into the office, work crazy, busy season hours, you're, you're not going to get the talent. So, so. It's, it's funny. So I, t- I tweeted about this, right? About what if you could have an experiment, right? If you could take twins, identical DNA, identical uh, GPAs, identical careers, identical degrees, everything identical. And one chooses to go public and the other chooses private. And one goes and gets their, their CPA and the other doesn't. Like, what could we learn from that? And people's answers that were like on Twitter and LinkedIn were kind of all over the board. But like some people are like, one's going to hate their life. <laughs> the other one, like in the long run, may be better off because they go the CPA route. It'll be kind of interesting. <laughs> and I should correct the record here. So that data on how many accounting students see themselves staying in public accounting, that low number of 23%. That was from the Illinois CPA Society. They surveyed over 3,000 accounting students, graduates, and professionals under the age of 35. And 88% of them either currently a CPA aiming to become one or seriously considering the possibility. So those were people who are seriously considering becoming CPAs if they aren't already, and they don't see themselves spending their career in public accounting. Only 23% do, which is way lower, I think, than it used to be, right? Used to have more of the split public and industry. Yeah. Now it's like way more industry because the jobs are better. Anyway, enough on that. I have an article about audit, a kind of a, an update on the news from an older article with audit related though. Is this, is this the KPMG partner who got fined? No, this is Wirecard. So Wirecard. Wirecard. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the Wirecard the, fraud. Yeah, Essentially they were, 
making fake bank statements, essentially, right? Out of Photoshop uh-huh. or something is the gist of it. Well, so they, you know, and at their peak, they were at a $25 billion valuation, right? But then mm-hmm. it obviously it fell apart. Companies lost their holdings. Investors lost investments, right? And what's happening now is, so this article, actually, believe it or not, was on casino.org because apparently where card moved money for gaming companies. Mm-hmm. So gaming casinos, things like that. Better Finance, an investor uh, campaign group out of Europe, is launching a foundation to try to recuperate as much as 1.5 billion euros, according to Reuters. They've established um, an entity in Netherlands, and they're looking to recover funds for 30,000 victims. And essentially, they're going after EY Global and EY Germany. Saying that EY is responsible because they didn't detect this. Yeah, they, they believe that the... Uh, Wirecard story to investors was they had steady growth in sales and profits. Mm-hmm. And every year, EY certified those as valid for a decade. And, and it was really bad auditing in that EY did not seek independent confirmation of bank balances. They just accepted yeah. the bank statements that Wirecard provided them without any further investigation. And, it's like audit and, and not just that. So audit there was an investigation, right? The Wambach, yeah. W-A-M-B-A-C-H report. Um, which is the result of an investigation by Germany, clearly demonstrated that EY had consistently failed to follow basic principles of auditing. Yeah, basic, like do an independent confirmation of the bank statements. I have a related story, David. It's really not that difficult to to fool your auditor these days, right? Because if they'll just take the bank statements you give them, you don't even have to do a lot of work to make those fake bank statements. There's a website where you can buy them. This is as reported, (laughs) yeah, it was reported in accounting today. The site is called banknovelties.com. Let's check it out. I haven't actually right. visited right. it yet. Banknovelties.com claims it can provide fake bank statements as well as fake pay stubs, fake utility bills, and fake U.S. tax returns. They're readily available for as low as $50 each. It may seem like a joke, but as the U.S. government pursues billions of dollars in fraud, Tied to Congress's pandemic relief measures, a common thread has emerged. The people who stole taxpayer money did it using bogus documents. And those are easily obtained on websites that are fully functional across the internet. This is the gig economy. There are people who have figured out that I can sell fake bank statements for like 50 bucks a pop for people who want to obtain loans fraudulently. And the problem is that we auditors, we accountants, haven't come up with a better way Oh my God, their pricing page is amazing. Every accounting firm, look at this pricing page. So it's kind of subscription. It's based on volume, right? If you want 12 months of bank statements, it's 550 bucks. And then each additional one is $30 a month. But they also have surge pricing, rush fees. (laughs) Surge pricing, yeah. If you want a utility bill in 24 hours, $50. Boom, credit report, $150. I wonder how, I wonder, you know, I wonder how easy it would be to get a mortgage using these fake documents because we know that the underwriters aren't actually confirming any of this stuff. They just ask for all the documents, right? And as long as you provide them. And you can choose from a hundred different fake type of statements. Yeah. Very diverse service offering here. Fake pay stubs. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is the service that Wirecard used to create those fake bank statements oh, and you that they sent even... to EY. Oh, this is, oh, this is crazy. Like you... Because you're going to have to have the paste to probably have your social security number somewhere on these docs. You're typing these into web forms, like questionable company. Like basically, this is probably just a front to steal your identity. 
this whole website. How many pay stubs do you need, Blake? No, no. These guys are like making real money from this. Yeah. Like this is not, they, they're not stealing. I mean, they could, I guess they could steal your identity if you put in your information. Oh, and, they, and they're global. You have to go to a different website if you need a UK, Australia, yeah. um, European products. So, wow. So this is the thing. Like it used to be hard to do this, to fake a bank statement or to fake checks used to take a lot of work. And so as auditors, we just said, we'll check it if it looks legit then we'll accept it. But now everything's scanned too, right? So all it takes is a fraudster to to buy these documents. They look really, really real. And auditors don't know how to look at them. So, so like our procedures have not caught well, up. This is with great them. because like all the tax organizers are asking me to upload all this stuff. I could just go get it here and upload it. Yeah, you could, tax organizers. you could get yourself a nice sweet deduction, fool a CPA real easy, right? You just get all the fake documents, send them to your CPA, they put them into the return, right? Looks legit. They wouldn't know. It looks legit. Although, honestly, like, uh, I'm sure that you wouldn't, you could just go find a CPA who's unethical and, or a tax and it looks preparer like who's not licensed. Powered. This is human powered because the, um, there's just oh, like yeah, a, yeah. a free text field where you can like customize it. Like, when should they, should they be monthly or weekly? What tax should start of the tax year? Um, what are the mm-hmm. dates that should be shown? Like, you can really customize this to your exact need. Like yeah. if you had to, you had to go to court or something, right? Well, so uh, here's the problem: you have to you if, only pay with Bitcoin. Like, so if we, because <laughs> like, they right, know they yeah, might be able right. to trust you to pay them. <laughs> well, it's it's also so because you know they don't want to get caught, right? And if they're offshore, they can, you can pay them with Bitcoin. The money can't get seized, like the government, because what they're doing is illegal. Like you can't use Bank of America's logo and put them on fake documents. That's illegal. Well, you're agreeing what, that what, you're so providing them mean? with accurate information. So, so let's say right. you lost your pay stub. You want to recreate, like they're recreating your pay stub. You're right, right. I mean, that's how they try to get around. But, but yeah, they yeah. can't actually, like the thing that they're violating absolutely is if they use Bank of America's logo and put it on a document and sell it to you. That's 100% can't do that. Even if you're just recreating something. Yeah. Right. So, well, here's the problem. So like this is, this is maybe not that big a thing, but it's going to, people are going to use this, right? Fraudsters are going to use this. So then how do, how do we stop that? The only way is if we stop relying on physical documents to validate what we're being told. And so that's why there's like a huge opportunity to do confirmations by plugging into people's systems. So instead of me getting a bank statement and sending it to you, Mr. Mortgage Underwriter or whatever, you would just let me connect your system to my bank account. And then you would pull the transactions in and you would verify that they're legit that way. That's the only way that we can possibly overcome this in the future. Like there's no, the, the physical documents are no good anymore or the scan documents. So you're saying the only way is you have to let each app or loan or bank, whoever it is, connect to all these accounts and go retrieve that data. Open pay stubs have to be, pay stubs have to be open. You connect. I to, mean, connect to, to my payroll. payroll just saying, yeah. Something like that. Right. That's the only way that we, okay. we get around this. I mean, it's just kind of crazy that this is how we're validating information now is, is taking scans of things and using those as evidence when they, they don't work anymore. But it's going to take a long time for our profession to catch up to that. And in the meantime, we're going to slide into irrelevance if we don't, because we get fooled really easily. And most people you know, don't know this is available. But if you asked auditors about this site, they would have no clue. That I agree. That, that's the big, like, this is the kind of stuff that's probably not being trained. Right? It actually, just yeah. be a talk. You could do a talk of this at AICPA Engage. Here's resources on the internet commit to commit fraud against audit. And you could just yeah. t- show up and show all these websites. It's a talk at AICPA Engage. Yeah. Maybe we do a talk. Yeah, maybe. 
if they let or us, maybe we, we if they let us in. <laughs> well, we'll be able to create fake credentials, and they'll let us in. Be like, look, oh yeah, that would be great. Legit. That would be funny. Look, that would be really funny. We got we we spoke we, here at this conference. Look at the pay stub we got from speaking at this conference. <laughs> we could we could kind of do that. <laughs> this episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. As a small business owner, I've had my share of accounting, tax, bank feed, and app issues. Some could say I'm a mess kind of like some of your clients. But as I reflect on the last three years of my business, the one app that I have not had any problems with is OnPay. It has been set it and forget it payroll. I quickly sign in each week, run payroll in minutes, maybe seconds, and I'm done. I get a perfect sync to QBO. I never think about payments or reports to government agencies because OnPay is doing it all for me. OnPay can do it all for your clients too. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts, a dedicated support team of in-house payroll experts who will do all the heavy lifting from setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees. They'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. To learn more about switching your clients to the award-winning OnPay Payroll and HR, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, switch to better payroll. Speaking of like just scams or these things, you're familiar with the whole gift card scam, right? How this works? Remind me. Okay. So essentially you randomly get a text from me, but it's not me. It's somebody that says, hey, Blake, this is David. I need you to do a favor. And you reply back. Oh, you think oh it's yes, me, yes. Somebody right? tried to do this to me. And long story short, somehow the favor always gets to, I need you to go to Walmart or Home Depot yeah. And buy five hundred dollars in gift cards and read me the numbers off of these gift yeah. cards. Right. So I got it happens all. Constantly. Yeah. No. So I got fi- I got fished in this way. I mean, I didn't fall for it. I played along with it too to see how long it would go. But when I was at my first accounting software tech job, somebody impersonating our CEO texted me and tried to get me to do this to go buy gift cards and scratch and off the same back thing. And- within within the first week at the new job. It has same thing happened at Melio. It's crazy. Now, what's insane about this is. In the first nine months of 2021, consumers have reported 148 million in frauds. In 2020, it was 114 million in this gift card fraud. And the mm-hmm. reason this is in the news this week is Walmart has built some technology and they actually helped to freeze some of these gift cards when they were bought. But I'm kind of like, who is, as they talk about elderly victims, and I want to like, I'm, I'm getting to the elderly age here soon. But <laughs> at the same time, like, who in their right mind? Is like okay with this, and I'm playing on a scenario in my head. Yeah, yeah. My parents' 75th anniversary is at the, or 50th anniversary is at the end of the month. If my sister texted me right now today, and she's like, "Hey, I need you to go buy some gift cards, $500 in gift cards for mom and dad's anniversary, and then read me the numbers off the cards," like none of it makes any sense. And like, and not only that, I'd tell my sister, "You go to Walmart and buy the cards," right? right. Like, it, it's like I, I don't understand how people fall for this. All it takes is one out of 10,000 if you do it enough, right? Like that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. You just, it's just, it's. And this is $500 a at a game. time, right? It's $500 yeah. at a time, $500 at a time. I, I don't know. So I'm going to let you choose, David. Do you want to talk about Elon Musk and the SEC or do we want to get to app news? I kind of feel like we uh, should probably talk about the app news. I mean, is, I didn't even hear about this SEC thing. Is this really his well, buying okay. Twitter? I don't even know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So I was just connecting a few things in the past. And, you know, like the SEC, I actually have, I'm not the biggest fan of the SEC and the way they 
treat Gap, right? What they've done with Gap and the usefulness of public financial statements from public companies. Like I have come to this awareness over the last few years that like, I don't think the SEC is really doing its job. And then Elon Musk, who's the biggest critic of the SEC, comes out this week and buys like almost like 9% of Twitter. Now we have to rewind to see how this relates to the SEC and and what's going on. And our show. And our show. So do you remember when Elon Musk got in trouble for his tweet about Mm. taking Tesla private? Yes. Yes, yes, So so he tweeted in the past, he said, taking Tesla, something like taking Tesla private at 420. And it was a, it was, Unclear as to whether that was a joke, because 420 is a marijuana reference, or it was serious. And of course, the SEC doesn't joke around. And statements like that are illegal. You cannot make statements like that as a CEO of a public company because it's market manipulation. Yeah. And so he got in big trouble. He had to pay a $20 million fine. I think I think it was $20 million. Tesla paid another twenty. He had to submit to something about his tweets being monitored, which of course he hasn't actually done. <laughs> uh, he, he, had, he came to a settlement with the SEC, right? Yeah. And I think that set him on a path of conflict. He hates the SEC. Elon Musk. Here's an excerpt from an interview he did with 60 Minutes after this. I want to be clear. I do not respect the SEC. I do not respect them. But, but you're abiding by the settlement, aren't you? Because I respect the justice system. So that's, I think that's why he bought Twitter. You know, he's now the largest shareholder in Twitter. It's basically a big F you to the SEC. Interesting. I thought it's about the edit button, the ability to edit a tweet. Well, so he's also a prolific user of Twitter, but I think this, yeah. really, this really goes back to that. He, he wants to basically... Now, by being a shareholder in Twitter, he can control it and he can, who's going to censor him, right? Is Twitter going to censor its its biggest shareholder? So anyway, like that's why I think this is all connected. I, I, but here's the thing, it connects again with the SEC because he, he was supposed to file a disclosure form. Whenever you buy more than 5% of a company, whenever you surpass more than 5% of a company, you and have to And he was doing notify, this over the last like... 60 days or so, right? He's been buying a yeah. little bit every day, a day. So, yeah. so and, he had the intention secret. of doing this. He probably should have disclosed the SEC, right? Well, it's a requirement, right? And you do yeah. it in secret. This is what you do is you don't want to drive up the price by announcing this. So you do it in secret. But then once you get to 5%, you're supposed to announce it. He didn't file the form until he got to 9%. So he already is in violation of this rule. And of course, after his disclosure, Twitter's share price rose 30%. It's now above $50 a share. So do the math. His delay of filing that form made him $156 million or saved him $156 million. Which makes up he for the $20 million he got fined before. I guess, yeah, exactly. So, you know, the SEC is going to come after him for this, but any fines they hand out are going to be nothing compared to how much money he just made. So that's why this is, he's just trolling them. All right. Right, the SEC, see, I see that. the PCAOB, you know, the fines they hand out, are meaningless in the context of the richest man in the world's wealth. Yeah, it's funny. Like Everybody wants the ultra-rich to be taxed higher on a percentage of their net worth. Maybe the fines sh- fine should be a percentage of somebody's net worth. Maybe not the taxes, mm-hmm. but maybe the fines should be. Yeah, because the fines that, you know, even if the SEC hands him another $20 million fine, or he agrees to it, who knows if he didn't even agree to it, 
It's nothing. At what point to what is, he it, just is made. it 200 million? Like, where does he feel it? Do you ever wonder that? Like, at what point does he feel it? 500 I mean, million? Like, let's, let's see. How rich is Elon Musk? Elon Musk net worth. He recently surpassed Jeff Bezos. Yeah. <laughs> he, his net worth is 200, round up to 280 billion USD. So a billion dollar fine, he might not. A billion dollar like, fine, he might when, not. When, at what point <laughs> does he feel it? <laughs> and Elon, he's the kind of guy who his principle, you know, what I like about him is that he says what he thinks. And he actually is very principles based. You know, he believes, I don't agree with him, but he believes in total free speech. Yeah. Right. Like unlimited, no, no restrictions. And, um, you know, whereas I, I think, I think most reasonable people believe we should have some restrictions. I, I think people like him because he points out the truth or he speaks truth to power and he's a powerful person. So he can do that. And yeah, the SEC is not particularly effective and it's hard to respect them when they're, in my opinion, doing a pretty bad job of protecting the public markets and providing useful information to investors and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And he's got so. a bunch of passionate followers. Like he, this, he could probably, this is politics, who knows, right? Where, yeah. where, where so, this, this heads to. So that's why I, I think this artic- is just a big F you. I have an article speaking of that's related to Twitter and the SEC. Well, well obviously the founder of Twitter started Block. So Block, Cash App, right? So Block, which is used to be Not Square. H&R right? block. Not H&R, Not H&R Block. Not H&R Block. Block, this used, yeah. it used to be Square. They make Cash App. A former employee who had access to reports probably a, a Google sheet more I'm guessing, right? Mm-hmm. Had sensitive customer data in it. And now it's a former employee, but he was still accessing these, these reports and pulling information off them. They, they don't think um, that it's been used for anything, right? Well, that's what they always but say. We have no evidence it was used for anything, but they would never know. How would they but know? It was consumers, their brokerage account numbers, holdings, portfolio values, stock trading activity. Like, but this this is like a bigger issue of people not having due diligence when they let go of employees, right? Or an employee no longer works somewhere. It just leaves it access. Yeah, and this is a big problem in accounting firms too, right? Which is you, your employees have all these logins to different systems because we're all in the cloud now. We got like dozens of apps we're using. Do you as a firm actually go through and remove their access to everything? And I would say like 90% of the time, you probably miss something. Most small firms, you, you, you miss it, right? I mean, if we're missing things when we onboard them, what do you think the chance are that we're missing things when we offboard them? Absolutely. So, yeah. so there's that. And I think there's, oh wait, no, the other fraud we have to talk about or breach, we have to talk about MailChimp quickly. Mail, so this will transition us into app news. Okay. Right? The MailChimp fraud, here we go. So what do we know about this MailChimp hack? So they confirmed that Hackers used an internal tool. So it's like an internal, my understanding, like an internal tech support tool of some type. And they stole data for about a hundred clients. Right? Now the client though, a mail, like a MailChimp client would be a business. Right. Right. And it's their so contact ha- list, right? Their email list. The email list, it would be the business itself, right? I think, do you use MailChimp? For the podcast, or you did in the past, or so I used it in the past. We used it in the past for our email list for the podcast. Oh my god, that's what I thought. And, okay, yeah, and really, it was just like names and email addresses. But you can use Mailchimp to track everything. It can be a CRM now. So and, and if it's the right company, so what they did is they uh, obviously had access to this list. Who knows for how long? And they went on to build a very complex scam. So apparently, there's a crypto wallet. I think it's a crypto something called Trezor. T R E Z O R. 
It's a hardware-based cryptocurrency wallet. And what they did is they sent out emails, you know, the typical phishing style emails to these people, convinced them to basically go to a website that mocked their website. And apparently there's a, there's a companion desktop app or something, convinced people to download this other app. And then after that, it stole their, what's that, your, your security phrase? With crypto, that your nine, key, your key, right? Still yeah. their key, and then drain their accounts, drain, drain their, their accounts. wallets, yeah. and essentially that's where we're at on that. Um, now, the spokesman for Trezor really talked about how, like, um, so in a blog post on Trezor, Trezor. Oh, I guess it's probably it's probably pronounced Trezor. It's T R E Z O R. Trezor, Trezor, Trezor. Treasure. I think it's Trezor. Oh, God. yeah, I think it's a play on words, right? It's the yeah, hip, 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 cool kids way to spell Trezor. It says it was exceptional sophistication and clearly planned to a high level of detail. Mm-hmm. So it makes you wonder, like, how long have they had access to this? It's not like they decided, let's do this and figure out how to get a hold of the users. They probably right. discovered yeah. the users that had access to the users. Then they, dis- then they built a scam. So it's like, how long has this, this door been open? Yeah. I guess in two, it'll have to deal with it. Phishing attacks are getting really, really sophisticated. It's really hard to tell the difference between a real email and a fake one when they have all this info about you. And of course, you're gonna, if people fall for the, I need gift cards from Walmart thing, you're for sure going to fall for the email that everything about it looks legit and mm-hmm. it takes you to a legit looking website and you download a legit looking app. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Scrutinize. The month-end close can be stressful, causing quality reviews to sometimes fall by the wayside. There just isn't enough time to manually review all the data. But what if you could audit clients' books in seconds instead of hours? Scrutinize automates recurring financial reviews. Scrutinize connects to your QuickBooks or Zero file, then quickly scrutinizes the data by searching for dozens of common issues, audits the user activity, and analyzes transaction volumes. Whether fixing simple clerical errors, surfacing potential fraud, or uncovering deeper issues like process breakdowns, staff training gaps, or other apps running amok, Scrutinize helps your team drive the quality outcomes your clients depend on. You can even use Scrutinize to help you scope and price new clients by analyzing the monthly transaction volume and servicing areas of their books that will need attention. To request a demo and to start your 14-day free trial, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash scrutinize. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash S-C-R-U-T-I-N-I-Z-E. What else do you have for apneas? Well, there was a bunch of fundraising and there was also a big failure. So let's talk about the failure first. Fast, the checkout startup. I love the name. The name of the company is Fast and they raised a ton of money. They we talked about all, just briefly last week about this because you started to hear rumblings about this. Yeah, $100 million. So they raised $120 million in investment and they're shutting down. They were a one-click checkout startup. And they just last year raised $102 million. Stripe is investing in them or did invest in them. And I guess they were just burning money so fast that they, they had to shut down. They never... It's crazy, right? That a company could raise that much money and never find product market fit. That's what's incredible to me about this. And, and a lot of it is like they're, they're, they have a competitor, and, and the competitor was also in the news this week, um, Bolt. And Bolt was kind of out and ahead. And to some extent, I would say Bolt was probably a long-term threat to Stripe. Mm-hmm. So Stripe really doubled down and pushed money into Fast. And 
you know, fast group, probably too fast and spent the money too fast. And eventually, and this is a quote from a, a former employee. So quote unquote, we waited too long and we ran out of money. Fast <laughs> misjudged significantly the mood of venture capitalists, presumably the, the assumption that they would keep investing in the company. That they would right. keep investing even though they were only making like, how much revenue did they have? They had 600K. Yeah. So yeah. this is a company valued at over a billion dollars with $600,000 in revenue. You know, like, I don't know. I guess this is how things go, right? It, when you're in the big leagues, if you can r- raise the money, people will bet on you. And, and it doesn't matter if you have customers, paying customers. So it's funny, David, because like we experienced this ourselves in, in this space when we were talking about Digits a couple episodes ago. Digits yeah. has raised like, what was it? Close to a million dollars? 65 at a half, over half a million dollars. Yeah, we're talking tens of millions of dollars. They do not have anything you can buy. And they have maybe a few hundred firms using the software. But I also, I mean, like, in defense of digits, there's no, I mean, it's been top secret and they they talk about how much they've raised, right? And their investors, it's a lot of that talk, but you don't, haven't heard any, like, there's not anything you've seen out there of them being frivolous and you haven't heard anything about their founders like their founder, we talked about this last week of uh, Fast. He has some issues and legal troubles with his last startup in Australia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shady yeah. tow truck thing, et cetera. But it ultimately, it, it, it this like crosses the whole culture of these companies. So there's a tweet that came out from Gary Darna, D-A-R-N-A on Twitter, at Gary Darna. And I'm gonna read this tweet. I'm saddened by the outcome at Fast, but proud of the team I worked with and the creative marketing we did as a startup. If you heard of us, it may have been through our 60,000 plus hoodies sold. I ran our store and need to find what's next. Who wants me to make their company swag? And so I'm kind of, I saw that tweet and I was like, okay, well, let's just say, hey, if you take a hoodie, sell it for 30 bucks, 60,000 hoodies, that's $1.8 million in revenue. I'm like, this one employee exceeded all of fast revenue. They should just been selling hoodies. Then I was quickly corrected by another person on the internet who sent me a link in tweets to their hoodies. But guess how much they sold these hoodies for? No, I I have no idea. One dollar. They were giving away hoodies. Like like, this is so not impressive. It's just like it just shows this irrational hubris that exists with these people. Like startup mindset sometimes. Right. Sales and marketing before product. That's what like they didn't have the product that anyone wanted to buy and and they were trying to you know it's 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 get the customers and then get, I don't know I don't understand it I really don't understand it well in the I meantime it's, it's, bolt their competitor is kind of crushing it out there mhm so fast competitor bolt and bolt has uh, raised money right but they've also been apparently they had um 35x the revenue or 53x the revenue of fast so like they're They've got real market traction, real usage, et cetera. Well, they um, just bought a crypto company that's in the payment space. It's a startup called Wire Payments, and they bought them for $1.5 billion. Now, so, and uh, apparently what this will allow you to do is like the one-click shopping cart button for Bolt. It's like you just click and buy. Just like when you're on Amazon, you, just, you say buy now. That's what these companies do. They offer that type of service to other third-party. Mm-hmm e-commerce cards like you could have that for earmark like buy now and it, it's frictionless right to, to right. purchase that once now the customer signs up your... once the customer signs up on one site they can use it on all the other sites 
So it's like exactly. Shopify has this, right? Where they save your payment information and then you go to any Shopify store and it's already there. It makes you much more likely to buy. And so the, basically now by this acquisition, they can offer people to pay with crypto and Lightning mm -hmm. Network and that type of stuff. Now, what's interesting about this, and this ties everything back, yes, this is fine for Bolt. People could use this feature and this is some possibly fast issue is merchants can kind of build these on their own fairly simply. So is there really even a market here for this button? Like, is there a business around this one button? I think there right. is because yeah, you can build it, but the whole value in the button is from the network effect of it yeah. being everywhere. But then other people just build a button that's cheaper. A different one builds a cheaper one. But yeah, right. Like, but you whoever, have, yeah, somebody has to win it, but whoever gets everybody everybody's info in their button first is gonna win. Yeah. But if you have to sell and you have to be part of if you're trying to sell things online, you probably have to be part of marketplaces like Amazon or Shopify. Right. right? They're just going yeah, off yeah. the button itself. So it's like, it's a, there's a there's a questioning of the whole entire space, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um, Bolt, to show you like the difference, right? Bolt was founded in 2014. They have uh, tons and tons of shopping uh, websites. Forever 21 was a client. So they had like real businesses. Use, real, and that's Bigger. the difference, I think, them and Fast. Bigger businesses right? as business opposed to like small yeah. ones. Because I feel like the small ones will be on Shopify. The big yeah. ones will have their own site and they'll need something like this. They should go in and just buy Fast now for like, Pennies on the dollar. <laughs> just, just well, you speak of trolling. Was, the young, well, there's nothing Musk to buy. Do that. There's nothing should, to buy. They should order a bunch of hoodies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some other fundraising rounds. Mosaic FPNA software provider created by Palantir graduates or former Palantir people has raised $25 million in a Series B round of funding led by Founders Fund. I know. Mosaic, because they were one of our competitors when I was at Giraffe, doing similar things, making financial modeling software, forecasting, budgeting, all this stuff. I think this is a really, obviously I worked at Giraffe, I worked at one of these companies. So I think this is a really, really, really promising space and good on, uh, good for Mosaic for doing that. There's another uh, app that raised that's in that same planning and analysis space an app called clockwork.ai. They closed the $2 million seed round. What's interesting about this, it's both founders are minority-based founders, which is good because you tend not to see this, right, with a, a yeah, lot of yeah. startups. And a lot of it is they, in their own startup experience, suffered these pains of you know, not having access to numbers, that you need your team to have access to numbers, and so they sync to Coopers Online and Zero, and you know they, they're saving teams 20 hours a month managing, you know, planning, predicting, you know, cash flow, that type of stuff. Docket has raised $11.5 in a Series A for its AI-powered accounting automation service. This is as reported in TechCrunch. David, do you know anything about Docket? Yeah, it's uh, these guys? it's similar to a Dext auto-entry style play. I think they are doing payments as well. And I think they're also focusing on some other accounting automation workflows. The one thing is I think the, they, they just do a lot. And it's like, what are they really, what's their sweet spot? Like, what are they doing really well? And that I'm not totally sure about. Yeah, it says in the TechCrunch article, this is a quote from the CEO, Siddharth Saxena, Docket's goal is to generate financial reports for our customers. It is not piecemeal automation that does just one workflow and then expects somebody else to do the accounting. The job of the system is to generate actual reports so that the business owners can make critical decisions. So that sounds like a, like a GL, like financial I think, reports. I think that, 
well, everybody's on a march, right? To do it all. Yeah. And I think this is the, even though I think they started in the scanning, the documents, right? They've kind of are continuing down that run. And yes, even though they are an add-on for QuickBooks or Zero, right? They've kind of, they are, everybody wants to replace those, right? Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to build everything. So it's so another one to, uh, to watch. So Docket starts at $300 a month, $299 a month for two users, and then goes up to $500 and then $600. For yeah, their which, advanced. which basically tells me they are not going after the QuickBooks market. No. <laughs> and they, they want to be in the ERP space. <laughs> like, yeah, mid-market, like, right? That space. As soon as your app costs more than QuickBooks, it's really <laughs> like, it, it, it's a hard sell to the QuickBooks user. So it's funny, we just happened to pull up the doc, Docket's website and it says, uh, their t- tagline here says, make your business thrive. And coincidentally, the next article I have is about Thrive. Are you familiar with Thrive? No. You may have seen commercials for this, like it's T-H-R-Y-V. And it's, I, I don't know the whole history on it, but I think it's, it really reminds me the old the olden days of, you had the yellow pages, then the yellow page became like Dext, and then it became D-E-X, and then it became an app and moved online. And I think, it's, I think that money has moved towards this app called Thrive. And the they're in our space, but they're not in our space from a marketing standpoint. They kind of taken their own path. Well, they just had their um, investor day and they announced that they have a revenue target of 1 billion in 2027. And this app kind wow. of does everything. It's it's part CRM. It's got your day-to-day functions for like service-based businesses. They are now adding um, buy now, pay later. Um, it's merchant service, right? Um, they're gonna now support Canada and Australia soon in 2022. Um, they're building centers of strategy and they could just, it's a big product that like, I'm surprised for as big as it is, we don't get exposed to it more in our space. Yeah. I've never seen it. So it does all this stuff, like get the job, like it does social media, it does scheduling and appointments, it does CRM, document storage and sharing, it does sales and payments. So, okay, it's it's really like a CRM job management solution for home services, health and wellness, legal. That seems to be where they really focus. Health and wellness, home services, and legal. So it's 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 business management software, like what we would call practice Their commercials are software. very effective. Like I'll see like their commercials on TV. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of the olden days of the QuickBook, the old QuickBooks online commercials. Not, not these new ones that are very like uh, magic just happens and they're very inspirational and you know, it's like they just showed QuickBooks online and showed a business owner and be like, look, it's easy as doing this. They're kind of the commercials are tend to be, oh, you have all these things. Look at all these things we do. And it's just app feature, app feature, app feature, app feature. And then you wonder why, you know, people sign up and they charge, you know, they're doing okay. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the true history is of them, where they came from. They were created through a two, 2017 merger of Dext Media, which was a Yellow Pages publisher. Then when they restructured debt in 2016. So yeah, it, it comes via the yellow pages. So they kind of, because the yellow pages essentially, if you think about it, going back in the olden days, if you were running the yellow pages, guess what you have a book of business of? Small businesses you're selling ads to. So now if you pivot and you create some sort of appy thing for small, because Dex used to build websites for people. I remember mm. in the early 2000s, people would get their website built by Dex, right? Um, Dex. And- Wait, Dex, you know, the, kinda, like which used to be Bank. D, like D-E-X, not Dex. Oh, got so it, D-E-X, Dex. D-E-X, Dex Media, right? 
as in Rolodex, think about it, like oh, abbreviation okay. for that. Got word, it. Right? Yeah. I... And so, so they started building these tools, but they're really, it's a, it's a lesson. Like if you have a, a book of business and you have the small business owners contact mm-hmm. info and you've ha- already sold them products in the past, you probably, if you can make another product, can sell them a new product. Right. Well, last bit of app news, and then I think we should wrap it up. Zero has appointed a new chief growth officer. His name is Chris O'Neill, and I should say this is in the United States. He will report to Zero CEO Steve Vamos and will be responsible for the strategic direction and operational performance within Zero's newly created Applications and Services division, which represents part of Zero's small business platform. It's a new division that is going to be made up of financial services, payroll, plan day, and the ecosystem slash zero app store. So this is similar how Intuit, they, they're always reporting the QuickBooks ecosystem numbers. Right. right. As right. a whole, almost like a segment of the company. And they're probably, zero is going to probably stack things that way because that's what investors care about. They see those numbers, those ecosystem numbers, and that's what helps drive future stock growth, right? So financial services, that must mean like merchant services well that a loan be, product the does zero have a loan product now yeah they bought is it a company that starts with a w i'm making something up okay. Wompley or something i mean I, I feel like it was something with a w they bought once and what about plan day like like plan, plan day, day is, is a timesheet app type scheduling oh, software and they acquired them got they it acquired them yep. and the ecosystem slash app store okay and he's going to chris o'neill is also going to lead strategic development of zero in the americas and will work closely with Zero President of the Americas, Tony Ward. He comes from Google and Evernote. And when I saw Evernote, I thought, uh-oh. Because uh-oh. What? a lot of us know that Evernote had a slide into almost obscurity. And like they, they, were, they were one of those unicorns that failed to deliver. I still pay and, for it every month. I have, well, amazing. I'm committed, I got, though. I can't get off. I, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, That's the problem. You get stuck on it, committed. right? I can't get out of it at this point. But anyway, he apparently led the turnaround at Evernote. So there's that. Yeah. Well, so, so uh, I have, congrats I, to Zero. I, I have a, something we all love and, and we can't leave it out of the app news. It's spreadsheets. So two articles. One is about kind of how micro, what does Excel mean in Microsoft Excel? Do you know what Excel, the word Excel means? Well, there's a, there's a cell in there, right? So maybe that's the, the cell, like yep. the... What's the X part? And then, so, so, so it's a uh, a plan word words, right? It, it's a a verb to mean superior to surpass or to surpass an accomplishment or achievement. But you're right because the word cells in there. It's a it's a pun to play on words. But like, you know, Excel is an active user base of like 750 million people. Yeah, you you talk about like the these. You know, it makes 60 hoodies look like nothing. Um, and obviously everybody's using Excel, and you know it started out. They released it in September 1985. And didn't even get a Windows version until 1987, right? But then there's another article. Apparently, right now, so this article is in Wired Magazine, which is like the cool tech kids, man. Read Wired Magazine, like that's the you want to. It's actually probably aging out tech kids. They used to until they got old. (laughs) Until they got older. Now that now the Wired demographic is like you, fifty five year olds. (laughs) Yeah, thirty five. So when so I started reading Wired when I was in high school. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's All like right. this thing is the, the Wired was the original text publication, right? Okay, yeah. And I it was, remember it was when like, it came out. 
super cool. It was pub- a nice magazine. It's mm-hmm. high quality. Yeah, it was very hot. Yeah, that's Anyways. when we still had physical magazines, right? That's how we got our news, David. Yeah. <laughs> so they have an article talking about how hot spreadsheets are right now. Obviously, there's you know we just talked about Excel when that was that was created. Then Google mm-hmm. put spreadsheets online in 2016. Airtable kind of came out in 2012 with their they call it a turducken of like database and a spreadsheet <laughs> together. But what's happening now is like you have Rose, spreadsheet.com, Grist, G-R-I-S-T, all these like Uber spreadsheets that are not really spreadsheets are coming to market. Well, they're, right? they're and, just and like- The great thing is it's causing innovation now for Excel yeah. and Google. We're going to see Google and Excel get these kind of database functions. And the best Simple part of versions, it, yes. And what, does, what this is all driven by is how many people- just use spreadsheets to organize data. Because they are superior for organizing data than a lot of these. I mean, the, the spreadsheet The spreadsheet is the original killer app. That's the thing that made the personal computer and put it on every Lotus desk one, two, in three. every business. Yeah. It was the spreadsheet. And, and the beautiful part about this, so <laughs> there's a, a story in here in this article. Apparently... Robinson's the person he's interviewing or what have you. And I'll just read it verbatim here. When Robinson and his wife hired a contractor to build their house, the guy showed up, showed them a spreadsheet of all the cost, but then pulled out a calculator to tote up the figures manually. When Robinson showed him how the spreadsheet could actually do it for him, he was floored. So like people are using <laughs> spreadsheets and don't even yeah. know you can use it to do math. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is where people are finally... I always feel like sometimes the market will determine where a product should go. Now, why it's taking so long with spreadsheets to get to this point of where they're going to be more database-like in the same vein of Airtable. It just took a long time. But I saw this even at Intuit. Intuit tried to call payroll all these crazy names for like a decade, but all the customers and the end users just call it Intuit payroll. They just called it payroll. And then finally Intuit just started calling it payroll, the word payroll, right? Like you almost can't fight the market, right? Yeah. Yeah. But why it took this long? I mean, Mike, like hundreds, hundreds of millions of people have been using Excel to, as a database forever, or and workflow tools and checklists and yeah, all these yeah. things. Not a spreadsheet, you know. There's an entire segment of SaaS that's just improving on what Microsoft Excel does, taking something that somebody does in Excel and putting it on Rails in an application because Excel is easy to break. Excel is not an application; it's really a tool. And you build applications inside of it. Yep. That's the way I think of it, right? Every spreadsheet that you create is an app in It was a way. the first, really, I mean, it was, it's no code. It was like the first yeah. no code. It was no code 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's, well, and it's funny because like, I think maybe this is the article that you're talking about is the, the headline in TechRadar is the tyranny of Microsoft Excel may finally be over. Talking about Rose and their recent uh, fundraise. I think it's about their fundraiser. Well, it's right? a different article, but, but yeah, this one's oh. about all of them. Actually, I, I suspect yeah. this I mean, article, because it links directly to spreadsheet.com, might have been pushed by spreadsheet.com in this article. But the great is the last uh, sentence in this. Uh, the, this writer, obviously, this writer's pretty creative. He says, Watching spreadsheets morph is like witnessing a convergent evolution, a digital life form that used to stick to the oceans, but is now crawling up onto land and trying to own Earth. Wow, that is quite. Literary for an Excel spreadsheets quote. I mean, it's great because what this means yeah. is we're going to see amazing features get added to Excel, and now it's going to be king for the next thirty years. 
Well, one of them, I just want to let our listeners know, it's not Excel, it's Google Sheets, but one of the amazing new features in Google Sheets that everyone should check out is approvals. So David, you can now create a spreadsheet and then you can send it to me for approval. And after I approve, it locks the sheet. Interesting. Yeah. That's something that has always been missing from spreadsheets is how do I lock this thing down after it's done? And with approvals, you can. And if somebody changes it, then it undoes the approval. And I think people get notified. And like that's a, right. that's a fantastic feature. I mean, that was basically what Flowcast, where I worked, like did is we locked down Excel sheets. And now they've built it into Google Sheets. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Long live but Excel. But again, still. like the thing that people get wrong about this and always makes me laugh is they say, the tyranny of Microsoft Excel may finally be over. Like, well, there is no tyranny of Excel. Excel is just the most useful software application that has ever been made. And all these apps are not going to replace it. They're just going to replace certain applications of it. I've always thought it's funny, like with, like with apps in general, like in our space, like all these apps and everybody's worried about UI, UI, UI this, UI this. And people build all these workflows and I'm like, just build a table because that's all they want. What's And then you have to ask the app developer, I'm like, what's... What's the number one app accountants use? It's Excel. Like yeah. they like they, because it's super efficient. You get so much data on one screen at once. Yeah. Give like, me a view of it. UI is very minimal. Right? Yeah, give me a it's, view of it that I can view in a table. Yeah, I mean, it, what, it, the it, app that I'm using right now to look at all of my stories that I've curated for this week is Notion, which is essentially just a spreadsheet where I can show the data in different ways. So I can enter it in a table form, but then I can view it as cards that I can move around. It's that's all it is. It's just a spreadsheet with some more features, communication yeah. features in it. You know, and it's one of the b- most popular apps in our space. Oh, I hate because it, it, but they must continue. <laughs> yeah. We'll I have to talk about shit. that sometime. We'll have to have that. Anyway, David, uh, we are over our time for this week. I would like to let our listeners know that they're welcome to send us stories, send us voicemails, you can email me at blake at blakeoliver.com. You can connect with me online at Blake T. Oliver. How about you, David? I'm on all the socials at David Leary. And great chatting with you. Hope to see you here next week. I guess uh, maybe you'll have some... Uh, I'll be in Dallas next week, so we need to figure out where I record at, if I record the day before we leave or before uh, I get on yeah, the flight. Yeah. So we'll figure all that right. out. We'll figure it out. We'll enjoy your trip. Where are you going? Are you going for, um, for accounting? Daughters of Volleyball this- Tournament. But okay. I'm going to go, um, I think I'm going to meet up with uh, Jennifer Johnson. So she's the, uh, remember we spoke to her class. This was, yeah, it's professor, University of Texas, yeah. Dallas, or University of Houston, Dallas location or whatever. No, University of Houston, Dallas. Is that, a, is that an actual school? Like that sounds confusing to me. <laughs> it's one of the colleges, but their campus that's in downtown Dallas. In Dallas it's so. University of Texas. University of Texas, Dallas. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. But University of Texas is in Austin, but that's why there's that distinction. That's why there's the it's, distinction. It's like the remote, or not remote, um, satellite campus yeah. or something. Hopefully Anyways, she doesn't listen to this. We spoke to her accounting class. I'm finally meet her, which would be fun. Um, I tried to reach out to Ed Kless, but he's he's been ghost to me. Maybe I'll connect with Ed Kless from there. Uh, Clint Bowers, <laughs> I'm going to go and hang out with him. So it's kind of awesome. off of a little extra time, and I'm going to go meet some accounting friends. So if you're hearing this, and it is the weekend of the 14th, and you're in Dallas and I didn't know you were in Dallas, reach out to me and maybe we'll have a beer. Sounds good, David. Have a great week. All right, bye. Time for the classifieds. As humans, we're programmed from birth to learn watching others. Video has the power to engage, entertain, and educate without ever feeling like work. 
When you want to become a QuickBooks Online expert in the shortest amount of time, the Royal Wise on-demand web-based learning solutions are the obvious answer. With 40 easy-to-understand QuickBooks classes designed to bolster your confidence and increase your accuracy, Elisa katz Pollock's training will take you from beginner to advanced user. Pick just the topics you need or save money by subscribing to their entire QuickBooks Online library and coaching program for one low monthly price. Listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast can enjoy their first month of silver membership for only $1 using promo code PODCAST. So head over to learn.royalwise.com. That's royal like a king and wise like an owl. Register for a QuickBooks class, become a member for just a dollar, and make learning a hoot. That's learn.royalwise.com. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50-plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Tired of clients not remembering to get W9s? Get W9 automates and streamlines the collection and storage of W9s. Get W9 has a QBO integration, and they have a partner program that pays 25% commissions. Get W9 plans start at only $19 a year. Visit getw9.tax today to get started. That is getw9.tax. Are you still using emails to exchange sensitive files with your clients? Maybe you're using that old, complicated client portal that's painful to work with. Stop suffering and start using Firmsta. Firmsta is an innovative and secure client portal designed to help your accounting firm work more efficiently with your clients. With Firmsta's intuitive interface, you will quickly add your clients, easily create folders, and securely share files in no time. Firmsta also allows you to add your staff members so that you can access all your clients' information and collaborate effectively. Start your free 60-day trial now at firmsta.com. You'll love it or it's free. That's firmsta.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.